You know, in the book of Joshua, there's this moment where the people of God have been wandering around for 40 years, and they get to the Jordan River, and they ask the, God tells them to have the priest take the Ark of the Covenant and walk into the water, and uh, all of a sudden, Jordan splits, and it's like the second Red Sea for them. And remember, the whole generation of those who had experienced the Red Sea, they were all dead. And so, this new Red Sea moment for them as they passed from as they passed from outside of the promised land into the promised land. And, and God wanted them to remember this moment. So he had them take 12 stones out and, and set them up in this place called Gilgal. And these stones were supposed to be a remembrance. And uh, I wanted to just continue our worship for a few more minutes. And uh, I don't know if you guys know what this week is, uh, but it was kind of a big week for our church. Uh, one year ago, our pastor left on eight hours' notice. And uh, I don't bring it up to drag anybody's name through the gutter or anything like that. I bring it up because I want us to set up some stones to remember what God has done. Look where we are. We're here. We're praising the Lord together. <laughs> it wasn't the end. We have a new beginning. And so... I want to invite you guys, if you, uh, if you have a praise for the Lord, maybe it's like, Lord God, I praise you that you got us here, or Lord God, I praise you uh, for something else. I don't know, uh, Lord God, I praise you that we're functioning normally, or uh, Lord God, I praise you that I have a healthy body, or praise you for my family, or whatever. I just, I want to give us just a few minutes here to praise the Lord. So you can just stand and just in one sentence uh, give your praise to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The very first song I ever learned in Swahili, which is the language of East Africa, is this. Unaweza, unaweza, baba unaweza, hakuna kama wewei. You are able, you are able. God, there's no one like you. You are able. And I pray that that would be the song of our hearts. Lord, we do praise you and we give you thanks. You are good. Thank you that we are here. Thank you that we praise you together. Thank you that you will use this little body of believers here on the corner of Mississippi and Kipling to impact this community and to impact the world. And we pray that you do. You are a good God. Amen. Amen. Children, you're dismissed. So uh, I see lots of new faces out there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're happy that you're here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan, and there's two really important things to know about me. Number one, Jesus has utterly transformed my life. I would not be here standing in front of you today if it wasn't for him. He, it, the living Jesus, literally flipped, turned my life upside down, and uh, I am here because of him. Amen. <laughs> The second important thing you need to know about me is that I'm married to a wonderful woman of God. Her name is Taylor. She's sitting right here with my in-laws, by the way. Those are my in-laws, in case you guys are wondering. And uh, they're awesome. And uh, I love my wife. She, she's beautiful and smart, 
so much smarter than me. You know, people have those lists of things that they want in a spouse, and uh, I really wanted my wife to be smart, and God answered that and then gave me a wife who's much smarter than me, so (laughs) there you go. (laughs) I can still remember the first time I ever laid eyes on Taylor. It was a Thursday in February of 2013, Thursday, February 7th, 2013. And uh, we were doing a ministry outreach together with our college. It's something that I had been participating in, but she had just freshly arrived at. And I thought to myself, as soon as I saw her, I have, I have to get to know this girl. Now, just for context, I'm extremely shy and awkward. I don't know if you guys can tell that by like my hand shaking up here and stuff, but I'm a, I'm a really shy, awkward guy, and every relationship with a girl I had ever had up to that point was initiated by the, uh, the girl. So the girl had reached out and texted me or sent me a message on Facebook or whatever. This was the first time ever that I had felt this, I don't know, like this feeling in my guts that I had to say something to this girl. So we did our ministry thing, and then we went over to the Village Inn in Belmar, actually, and a big old table of 13 of us or 14 of us, and there was, she sat down, and there was a seat on each side of her, and I thought, I'm, I'm taking one of those seats. And I did. I got one of those seats, and uh, we began to chat, and she was just so sarcastic and ornery, and it was wonderful. I was fascinated by her. Like, I was like, I got I, this girl. There's something special about her. So uh, I got, I found her on Facebook later that night through a mutual friend, and yeah, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, that night, February 7th, 2013, changed my life forever. Because that's the night I met my wife. Five years of marriage later, and I am so thankful, so thankful that I was there that Thursday. You know, as a direct result of my encounter with Taylor, my life changed. Everything changed. And it reminds me of this passage in Acts uh, Acts chapter 9, So if you have your Bible or your phone, or uh, it'll also be up on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin looking in verse 1. And uh, as you're getting there, I just want to build a context for you. At this point in the story of Jesus, Jesus has showed up. He's lived a perfect life, died, been buried three days, risen again, hung out with the, the disciples for 40 days, and then ascended to the Father, and then sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and he filled the believers, uh, the followers of Jesus, and and they began to proclaim the message, and 3,000 were added to their number that day, and it began to grow and grow and grow, and the movement began to expand and expand and expand, but this didn't make the, the Jewish leaders very happy, and this one particular Jewish guy named Saul, a fervent follower of Judaism, a Pharisee, said, you know what? I'm going to start to persecute the church. So he begins to persecute the church. And in Acts chapter 7, we watch as he observes the death, the, the martyrdom of the very first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen. And then in Acts chapter 8, this spurs on a persecution, and all the believers that were in Jerusalem begin to get spread all over the, the ancient Roman world. And as they get spread, the, the word of God begins to expand because what Satan intended for evil, God uses for good. And, and they proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever they go. And then finally, we get to Acts chapter 9, and here's what it says. Acts 9, verse 1. 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, which is what Christians were called back in those days, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. There's a lot going on in this story. I want to just highlight the essentials for us. So Saul, like I said, this zealous Jewish believer is traveling around persecuting the disciples of Jesus. He's so passionate about persecuting the way, about persecuting the church, that he's in Jerusalem. He goes to the leaders of the Jewish synagogues in Jerusalem and he says, listen guys, I, I want to bring Christians back and throw them in prison. So will you give me letters to this church in, or these synagogues in Damascus so that I have permission to do that? That's how passionate he is about persecuting the disciples. He wanted to do whatever he could. He's not a good guy. And while he's traveling on this road to Damascus, there's this bright light and this voice from heaven, and this voice calls out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is an interesting response. Who are you, Lord? It's almost as if Saul understands that he's having a divine encounter. Something special is happening, but he doesn't know who this encounter is with. He doesn't know the voice of God. He doesn't know who he's talking to. And so he asks, who are you, Lord? And of course, the voice responds, I am Jesus. After this, we learn that Saul has been blinded. And so he's taken by his compatriots into the nearby town of Damascus. And in Damascus, he's there for three days. And uh, he doesn't eat or drink, the Bible says. And then all the while, God's talking to this guy named Ananias. And Ananias argues with God about whether or not he should go and pray for Saul. But God wins, which is good for all of us. And uh, so he goes and prays over Saul, and the Bible says something like scales fell from his eyes. And immediately he gets up, and he goes and he's baptized by the disciples there in Damascus, which is a huge deal. Because he was baptized in the name of Jesus, the very God that he was trying to destroy, the very person whose name he was trying to eradicate, he's now baptized in the name of him. And then immediately he begins to share the news of Jesus and what God has done in his life with everybody there in Damascus. As a direct result of Paul's encounter with Jesus, his life, or of Saul's encounter, foreshadowing, becomes Paul, right? Of Paul's encounter with Jesus, his whole life is flipped, turned upside down, and he is changed. Could you imagine someone being so radically changed that they go from trying to destroy something to trying to build something up? That's crazy. It would almost be like a modern terrorist saying, I want to destroy Christians, or I want to destroy this, or I want to destroy that. I want to destroy Christians, and then suddenly having an encounter with Jesus and being radically changed. And believe it or not, this kind of thing still happens today. So uh, I was reading a book called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin, and in this book he tells the story of a man, who, the toughest man he ever met. 
And uh, over the course of the pages of this chapter, he meets this guy and he's sitting in the back of this shadowy room with one light hanging in the middle, but the guy is outside of the the light and uh, he can't see anything. Nick can't see anything because he's interviewing him because this, this guy's a Christian and he begins to ask about his story and the guy's sharing his story and he's saying, you know, before I met Jesus, I was a rat, I was a Muslim and, uh, Sorry, this is about to get graphic, all right? So uh, I was a Muslim, and I was a soldier, and I killed many people on the battlefield. But I also killed a lot of people not on the battlefield. And he says in the book that he uh, would slit their throats and let their blood run over his hands as an offering to Allah. And one day, he, uh, he begins to have these dreams. And in these dreams, his hands are covered in blood. And it's, it's overtaking him. And these dr- dreams just keep happening and happening and happening and happening, overtaken by blood. Oh, uh, just more than this guy can handle. And so he decides, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and, and one night, he has another dream. And in it, this, this guy with wounds in his wrists and in his feet and, and on his forehead shows up and says... I'm Jesus. If you believe in me, all these dreams will stop. And the guy wrestles, but then ultimately decides, I'm going to follow Jesus. And immediately, the dreams stop. And this guy is transformed from someone who's trying to destroy Christians to someone who's trying to smuggle Bibles into the country that he's from, from a neighboring country where he can get his hands on them over mountains, in the, in, in the course of smuggling these Bibles, he gets kidnapped, beaten, left for dead, starved, freezing, cold, everything. He goes without. He, it's like reading about the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, like everything that he went through, this guy goes through. And now he's sitting across from Nick in this room, in this dark corner, and uh, the light is not shining on him. And, Nick asks him this question, so how does your family fit into all of this? And in the book, he says, the guy leaps out of the corner of the room, grabs him by his collar, and says, God has taken so much from me, how could he ask me to offer him, me, how could he ask me to offer him my children? And Nick, taken aback by the sudden change, didn't really know what to say, but in that moment was, well, is he worthy of it? And the guy said, yeah, he is. He's worthy of it. Jesus so radically transformed this guy from a guy killing Christians, letting their blood flow over his hands as an offering to Allah, to being like, everything that I am, all that I own, including my family, it belongs to Jesus. That is radical transformation. That's totally different. You know, we talk about these stories and they're kind of cool, right? And they're awesome, but they seem a thousand miles away from us, right? The story of Paul, we're separated from that by 2,000 years and thousands of miles. This guy, the story of this guy just told you, thousands of miles were separated from that story. The same thing happens right here in our own backyard. I have a student whose name I'm changing for her sake. Uh, I'll call her Jane. 
and Jane grew up in a Christian home, uh, but until recently wasn't really following Jesus. Uh, she went to church every Sunday, did all the prayer things, did all that stuff, but really her life wasn't any different. And uh, recently she was listening to another person from this church share about Jesus, and uh, she's like, you know what? I want that. I want that change that they had in their life. I, this happened all in like the last four months. I want that change. So she decides, I'm going to go all in for Jesus. It was like talking to a whole new person. It, her, her life switched, and she went from being someone consumed by the worries of this world to someone whose eyes were set on Jesus, and she was like, I just, I just want to do what Jesus wants me to do. And then she recently went on this uh, discipleship program thing, and uh, turns out that she has the, uh, uh, like the spiritual gift of evangelism. The whole team, there's 10 kids there. She leads five out of the eight total that they, the whole team leads to Christ. In crazy encounters, like she was telling me, yeah, I was in a bookstore trying to share Jesus with people, and uh, I saw these two creepy guys standing there, and they kept following me around the store, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do? And so I saw this group of girls, and so I walked over to this group of girls, and I said, hey, these creepy guys are following me. Can, can you pretend to know me? And they're like, yeah, sure. So while they're pretending to know her, she begins to share how Jesus has changed her life, and two of them give their lives to Christ. Have you ever heard about anything like that? That's insane. That happened last week. How crazy is our God? The radical, transforming power of our God. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> it seems like almost everyone who encounters Jesus, their lives change. I'm reminded of this short guy named Zacchaeus. Right? In the scriptures, we learn three important things about Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector, which means he's a traitor to his people. He lives in a place called Jericho, and he's short. And uh, one day, Jesus is walking through Jericho, and Zacchaeus wants to see him, so he climbs up in the tree, and Jesus gets to that point and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, hey, bro, I'm going to your house today. And everybody's around, like, what? Does Jesus even know who this guy is? Is this a tax collector? I can't believe this. They're all murmuring under their breath, and Jesus goes to his house, and in this encounter with Jesus, we don't know how long it takes. Maybe it was a few minutes, maybe a few hours, but in this encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus, who had traded everything in his life for money. That's what it meant to be a tax collector back in these days. It's kind of like, uh, okay, so when I was in elementary school, uh, we were learning how to play flag football. And uh, I, my family does not watch sports. We just don't. It's not something that we did ever. I was very confused by the game of football as an elementary schooler. And uh, I remember the very first pass of our elementary school game. I go, I catch the ball, which is a miracle because I didn't catch anything back in those days. And then I proceed to turn around and score on my own team. Aww. Yeah. Great. Super fun, isn't that? Nobody liked me that day very much. Anyway, you can understand why. But that's what a tax collector was. They were on their team, but they scored for the other team, right? Nobody liked Zacchaeus. He had traded his whole life for money. Everything for money. Friendships, relationships, his very own people, his culture, his everything traded it for money. And in response to his encounter with Jesus, he says, Jesus, I'm going to return everything that I ever stole. And if I did steal, I'm going to not just give them the dollar that I stole back, I'm going to give them $4 instead. 
He traded everything in his life for money. That was the most important thing in his life. And in a moment of encountering Jesus, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to give it all away. What? That doesn't just happen. Transformed. Happens over and over again in the scriptures. There's this uh, shepherd guy in the Old Testament who uh, encounters God at a burning bush, and he goes from this stuttering shepherd to a man who leads Israel for 40 years, Moses. There's this uh, other guy, he was a fisherman, cleaning nets one day, and this teacher says, hey, whose, whose boat is this? Can you, could you go out a little way so I can teach these people? And uh, he does, and he's a, literally a captive audience because he's in the boat listening to this teacher. And uh, after the teacher finishes, his response is, whoa, you're someone special. Peter, his whole life was radically changed by one moment with Jesus. Or uh, there's this lady in the Gospel of John who uh, had seven demons in her. Her whole life was controlled, led, and manipulated by demons. And she meets a guy named Jesus, and her life totally changes, and Mary Magdalene begins to sponsor Jesus' ministry with her own money. Or uh, there's this other guy, He's a government official from a country in Africa, and he's riding in a chariot, reading out of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and this random dude walks up to him, and he's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he says, yeah. No, I don't. (laughs) Can you explain it to me? And uh, Philip shares with the Ethiopian eunuch all about Jesus, and he's baptized right there on the spot, and begins a a religious movement, a Christian movement that remains to this very day. All of these people, lives totally, radically, utterly, completely transformed. Why? Because they encountered Jesus. It's not really all that complicated, right? This is not some ground-breaking theological sermon. I'm not revealing to you the hidden, scripture, hidden truths of the scriptures. Like They encounter Jesus and their lives change. And it makes me wonder. And it makes me want to encourage you to ask yourself, has your life changed? <coughs> Now, I know we're all sitting in here on a Sunday morning and we're supposed to be Christians. That's what Christians do. And we sit here on a Sunday morning and listen to the preacher preach and sing the songs. But have you ever really encountered him? Have you seen your life change? Do you display the fruits of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? We're quick to excuse this question from our mind. Oh, of course. But please, I, I really encourage you, engage this question. Have I really encountered Jesus? Because here's the truth. You can show up every Sunday and you can sit in this chair 
and listen to whoever stands up, people more eloquent than I, preach the gospel, and uh, you can hear it, and uh, you can, when the plate passes you by, you can put your 10% in, or even more. <laughs> That's not a hint, don't worry. All right. You can stand and sing the songs. You can even put your hands in the air. Yeah, that's what we do. But your life might never be changed. Truly, honestly, your life might never be changed. 40 years, you can do this. Show up every week and do this. And your life might never be changed. But in a moment of getting up close to Jesus... Everything can change. My life was totally changed in a moment of getting up close with Jesus. He'll do the same for you. Because this crazy thing happened 2,000 years ago where, yeah, he died on a cross, but three days later he rose again, and you know what that means? It means that he's not dead anymore. It means he's alive today. It means we can have a relationship with him. It means we can be transformed by him. It means we can be discipled by Jesus and, and totally different than we were before. Amen. And so as we transition into worship here at the end, I want to invite you. If you've never encountered Jesus, why wait a day longer? Now, when uh, the followers of Jesus first began to encounter him, it was very public. And so, I'm going to welcome you. We don't normally do this in this church, but it's okay. We can break the rules. So, I'm going to invite you, if you want to come up here as a physical representation of what's going on in your heart and say, hey, Jesus... I'm going to stand in front of you and I'm going to stand in front of all of these people and say, I want all of you, all of you that you'll give me, I want to be all in, I want to encounter you, I want to change life, I want, I want to see the same crazy stuff happening in my life that's happening in all these other people's lives. I, I want all of you. I want to encourage you to come forward. Now, you may be thinking, but what about all these people? They're going to judge me. Trust me, they're so focused on themselves right now, they could... <laughs> don't, don't think about them. This is between you and Jesus. And this is not i I've never said a prayer. This is a, Jesus, I know there's more of you for me. And so I want more. I want all that you'll give me. That's the invitation. So, if that's you, maybe your heart's going pitter-patter, pitter-patter. That's how it was for me. You're welcome. Come on forward. The water's good. Lord, we're ready. We're ready for whatever you might do. You are a good God. Father, I pray that you would even begin to help people's feet move forward. That you'd help them to stand up out of their chair. 
Lord. You can do it. Father, we pray that each and every person that you desire to encounter here in this place today, that it would happen by your grace, by your power, that it would happen. Lord, we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. song is called Nothing Else. If you know it, go ahead and sing it with me. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never
Everything that you'll give us, we want it. Father, we pray that you would fill us completely and totally with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would empower us to do what you're calling us to do in this world. That our feet would no longer be idle, that our hands would not be idle, that our eyes would be fixed on you, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and that we would move forward boldly and courageously doing exactly what you've called us to do and nothing else. Lord, we are hungry, we are ready, we want more. The altar is still open. If, if you've been waiting, it's not too late. If your heart's going boom, 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 boom. worth it. I guarantee you it's worth it. If you're up here, I want to encourage you to use your own words to say, Jesus, we, I want you. Jesus, I want you. You don't have to say it loud enough for everybody to hear, but that would be awesome. <laughs> but just use your own words. God's on the move. He's not dead. He's alive. Let's extend our hands over our brothers and sisters who are standing up here. Let's pray over them. You can pray while I pray. Lord, we pray 
that you would bless each of the people standing up here. Lord, that you would encounter them and that we know that you have encountered them. And Father, we pray that their lives would be changed as a result. Lord, even in this very moment, I pray that your, your, you really would, truly, Lord, please fill them with your spirit to overflowing. Lord, that they wouldn't be able to hold you in. That, that, your, that your spirit would literally flow out of them like rivers of living water to everyone around them because you so transformed them, they can't hold it in. Lord, we praise you for their lives, for the impact they're going to have in this kingdom. We praise you. You, O oh Lord, are good. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> Go with God. Uh, he's good. And uh, yeah, praise him with your lives. Have a good week.